Here this afternoon, we're just setting up the context for this uh, episode, which features an interview we conducted with Moon Taxi on their bus toward the end of last summer, as well as an interview that we conducted uh, while I was in the Dominican uh, at Dominican Holidays with Mike Greenfield from the band Lotus. The band has a, a new CD out, Eat the Light, with their first uh, vocals, and we talk about that, and the rest of the episode are from interviews Seth and I conducted just this past Thursday at the Vista Room right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. And if you guys are past listeners, you've heard us talk about the Vista Room. This is the place that the Colonel Bruce Hampton is doing a residency where you never know who's going to show up. And it's just a stunning, spectacular sound. And the man we first talked with for the opening segment here is Matt Wilson, who is a uh, industry lawyer and manager. But I think now, more importantly, uh, he's the man behind the Colonel tribute uh, that'll be taking place on May one. I think it elevates Matt Wilson to the uh, level of a jam band impresario status. Ooh, impresario! Yeah, you're, you, I'll, I'll give you that. Indeed, uh, Matthew Wilson is not only a music entertainment lawyer, but he also is part of the GTG management group, and they manage bands like Moon Taxi, T. Hardy Morris, Roadkill, Ghost Choir, Dead Confederate, Sansa Rebbe. Is this how you say it, a Rebbe, or? I'm not sure, but he's kind of a low-key guy, so it was by accident, really, that the the first segment happened. Um, yes, yeah. So um, that was actually kind of cool, because he lays back that the middle segment and the end segment are with Colonel as well as Matt, and Matt uh, uh, very much lays low during... Uh, those two so it's good we got a little time with him alone uh, yep yep absolutely and uh and he also manages one of those fine bands that's on a former episode of Ozars. uh do you know which one that is great peacock that's right rob turner so uh i love those guys yeah what episode is that that not not enough people listen to that go back and find it great peacock you may not have heard of the band but you might fall in love with them and it's one of the best conversations we've had yet and a new album's coming out soon um they're working on a new album as we speak i'm not sure when that's coming out though but it's i would say soon soon sounds good does that sound right to you it sounds good to me let's drift back into a little bit of moon taxi and go back let's dive into episode 28 And for those that are interested in diving even further back, go to episode 10.989 for checking out the great Peacock. 10.989, what's that reference, Seth? I've been floating around for days and days The message in the Bible says to work it 
Live for Live Music presents Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we're sitting here with uh, one of our biggest supporters and a guy who just plopped a big gift on the Atlanta music scene. Plopped. Interesting interesting use of words there, Rob. Just a big plop. A lot of people did not see it coming, and it is May 1st at the Fox Theater, and it is a tribute to our, our city's, the godfather of, of Atlanta Jam, maybe all of Jam. All of think? Jam. Come on. Come on. What would you say, Mr. Matthew Wilson? Uh, he's, he's, he's the godfather, grandfather, uncle, everything, I believe. Uncle Godfather. Uncle I like godfather. that. We're yeah. talking about Colonel Bruce Hampton. That's right. The one and only. If you didn't know, he knew. He also is the godfather of this podcast because when we were even more nothing than we are now, he came on and did a, a, a lengthy interview with us. And it really helped get us off the ground. Other people were willing to come in and, and sit down and endure us uh, afterwards. So very exciting times. Matt, when was the first kernel <laughs> of this? Uh, when, when were the seeds of this event planted initially? <laughs> um, it was uh, just about a year ago. Uh, Dwayne Trucks and myself were at the uh, Candler Park Music Festival. And we were talking about uh, doing something for Bruce. And, and Dwayne mentioned that I think... He he said, "I think Bruce turns seventy next year," and uh, that was that was where it all began. What a great idea! We interviewed Dwayne on that day. Remember, we we actually did. That's right. Uh, do you think Bruce actually is going to guess his own birthday? <laughs> I bet that's one he does not get. That's the one he won't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, by the way, let's let us also say that um, Josh Thane. Wonder Dog Sound Studio will be at the event with us. We will be doing interviews. Hopefully, Robert Kwan will be there, and we'll be conducting many, many interviews. Rapid Fire are more along the lines of our Festy Flash Chats than our, than our normal interviews. Yeah, it's going to do something a little different. We'll be backstage. We're going to be set up, and we're going to talk to whoever and whomever we can uh, to, to talk to them about Bruce and talk to them about the Colonel and talk to find out what not only does he mean to them, but... What they've learned from him, what it, you know, what is this shaman that Bruce is, and how he's he's really paid uh, paved the way for so many and and changed so many ways they've played. You know what I mean? And it's an amazing lineup. You got JB Schools, Dwayne, who we just mentioned, and Jimmy Herring from Widespread Panic. Jimmy Herring is also from ARU. Um, good old Carl Denson of the Rolling Stones. Warren Haynes, Chuck Lavelle, Johnny Knapp. So we're going to be more than taken care of in the keyboard spot. Matt Slocum. Matt Slocum. Um, I, I'm a big Kevin Scott fan. I'm really, really excited that he's getting more due, and he'll be on this event. He's going to be on the John McLaughlin tour. So excited for Kevin Scott now, one of the best bassists, probably the best bassist that's Atlanta, known for being an Atlanta Absolutely. musician. Absolutely. He is truly the Atlanta musician. Um, it's nice to have a new, new blood coming through like that at that level. Now, Matthew, do you get involved in song selection you do well, not not me personally. We, we're 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 kind of curating it. Um, to, to take a step back, Dwayne, um, whom I just mentioned, and Kevin Scott are going to be more or less the music directors of the show, and um, they're currently um, coordinating with all of the uh, various artists and to what the set list is going to look like. Um, so it's going to be kind of a backbone house band sort of thing with uh, various musicians coming in out and out playing, but they're. Um, and I think those guys are putting together a song list, and they're also soliciting input from all the various artists. Who, uh, you know, I don't think we have a, a theme apart from just what does Bruce play, what does Bruce inspire, what has Bruce offered 
you as a musician, and so everyone's going to bring something different to the table, I think. Well, if they need any ideas, you can always send them Pharaoh's Kitchen, the most recent Colonel CD. There's, there's what, nine great songs on that alone. Or just send them back to the old days at the Variety Playhouse with the Zambieland Orchestra. And the Aquarium Rescue Unit. There's plenty, plenty of great Aquarium Rescue Unit songs that they could do. Come on through here. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of that. And I think we, be... we should mention we're at the Vista Room right now. This is where the Colonel has been doing Thursday night shows, and they're bringing food for the band right now. Um, we sit, we have Ike Stubblefield in the house. I saw him. Yep. We have who else do we have tonight? What's the name of that wonderful pedal steel player? He's in the house tonight. Do you remember Seth? This is why we need Colonel. We were just going to sit down with uh, Colonel. Roosevelt, but he's not here. No, but that not is Roosevelt the wonderful. I mean, you asked for a wonderful pedal steel player. Yeah, it's been it's been a rotating cast from week to week here with Bruce. He's been doing the the uh, Thursday night gigs for about three months now, and it seems like every week there's been a rotating cast in here. You never know who's going to show up. That's for sure. Uh, while while we're talking about the uh, the Fox, I mean, so was the plan always to be to, for the show to be at the Fox? No, it wasn't, and I think that's kind of a testament to how much this man is loved in, the, in our scene. Is um, when Dwayne and I first started talking, we were talking about doing something, you know, just kind of fun in the Zambieland um, tradition, and, and we looked at the Variety Playhouse, and we had a hold of the Variety, and we started inviting artists, and every person that I seemed to call um, jumped and said yes. So before we knew it, we had way too many people to put on the Variety Playhouse stage. So. Um, we approached the Fox Theater, and they, they were gracious enough to to invite us in. And um, I should mention that the, all the proceeds are going to benefit the Fox Theater Institute, which is their um, charity arm that helps benefit and maintain and preserve uh, historic theaters in the state of Georgia. So anyway, um, That's great. Fox jumped at the chance to uh, bring this in their house. And it's, and, go ahead. Yeah, as to say, so they, they went in-house. They, they brought it to their house, and it's going towards their charity. But did they have any idea, any clue that it was going to sell out as quickly as it did? And did you guys have any idea? Um, I think the guys that were involved on the production side, um, my co-producer, Kit Blanchard, um, Steve Lopez, and uh, our business manager, Andrew Britton, we, we all knew that this was a really big deal. Um, there were a couple folks at the Fox that, that knew this was going to go well, um, but there were certainly some, I won't say naysayers, but skeptics that were thinking, how the hell is this Monday night show going to sell out? Um, and, uh, you know, it did in, in uh, just a few minutes. Yeah, <laughs> just a <laughs> few minutes. And also keep in mind, this is the Monday in between Jazz Fest, right? So, I mean, you've. You have the second weekend of Jazz Fest on the horizon. A lot of people out of town. I'm, lots going on. It's the end of school for kids, and I mean, it's just it's a it's a it's a big time. And as you as great as the bill is, uh, you look at it. it, it O'Teal's not on there, and does that have something to do with Jazz Fest? Yeah, O'Teal has um, a, a conflict that he couldn't get around, unfortunately. Jeff Sipe from Aquarium Rescue Unit? Well, um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. Jeff Sipe will be on the bill. Nice. He, he hey. Just on time. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it wouldn't be right without him. And and he had a potential conflict that he was able to work around. And um, So he was not on the initial announce, but he is he's involved now. You'll make sure he has directions to the Fox, right? We'll make sure he's not in New Zealand, yes. Okay, good. Now, <laughs> we got a lot of fish fans who listen. It's wonderful to see John Fishman oh, on there. I thought you were going to talk about how Matt's a big fish fan, but okay, go ahead. Talk well, about that. What about that. Mike Gordon? He, he literally did a movie 
on, on, on you know, based around Colonel and uh, Trey Anastasio has good friends in Atlanta. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be too hard for Trey to boogie on down here. Well, I'm just gonna say we do have a catch-all special guest category. <laughs> I'm not gonna hint on who that might be or may not be, but we're gonna leave it at that. There's always time for certain musicians, right? You can work them in. Of course, of course. Is the fact that it's a strict union room um, has that come into play with things at all? No, it's just expensive. Um, but again, it, it's um, it, the, the Fox took on a lot of the expenses. They uh, they 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 just wiped some um, blanks out that we didn't have to pay for in the first place. So um, you know, it's it, it it hasn't been as much of a chore as it would be if we were just renting a room. And when I first moved down here, Seth, I never thought that when the Colonel was honored in this fashion, that a former MVP, Cy Young Award winner, and a guy who won the World Series with the Boston Red Sox would be part of the celebration, Jake. PV Mobile That's Zone. Right. That's right. Yeah, Jake you. and Jake and Bruce have been doing a, quite a few projects the last year or two together. So uh, this was this was um, an obvious invite as well. I mean, and his projects apparently have been a home run. He's a pitcher. He's a pitcher, He's a pitcher. man. It doesn't matter. It's still baseball. Come on, jeez. No, it's a stretch. But can you make sure we get to interview him, Matt? I will. I will do what I can. And yes. it's amazing that Billy Bob Thornton is in, is included. Although I would be trepidatious about interviewing him. He can be a bit thorny. As an interviewer, but what an amazing talent and what a great supporter of the well, Colonel. Bruce I thought it'd been really cool if they brought the actual band from Sling Blade. That would like the band from Sling Blade. Well, if, especially if we could get Vic Chestnut, right? I mean, that would uh, that would be great. If Unfortunately, Vic were alive. we can't we can't bring Mister Mister Vic in. Hologram, but, um, hologram. He would certainly be a part of this. <laughs> were he alive? Absolutely. Um, Vic's Vic is loved by by all. Well, we're going to be joined by the colonel in just a moment. Um, we're going to talk about some of the recent deaths because um, some f- amazing musicians that he knew personally have passed away. I also am going to be announcing my new podcast, a Timeless Music Podcast, because my first guest is David Bromberg, who I imagine uh, Colonel Bruce fans would also like him. He's got a great CD out called The Blues, The Whole Blues, and Nothing But The Blues. And if you're a Colonel Bruce fan, you should check out that David Bromberg CD. Very cool. We're also going to be uh, going into some back catalog stuff. We've got an interview that actually Matt happened to be on the bus when we interviewed Moon Taxi, so we're going to we're going to bring that one out well, for well, you. Let's all. go right into that. That's uh, Matt. What do you remember from that day? We were at the Lock and Music Festival. Um, it was in the afternoon on Sunday, was it not? They had just performed on the main stage. I think that's right. I think that's right. We were getting ready for uh, for night two of Fish, but. Um, I remember it being really, really hot, and your bus being, or I guess it was Moon Taxi's bus, being the uh, best place to be on the entire site. It was so hot, I actually had my breakfast scrambled on the uh, front of the bus. Mm-hmm. But you know what's, uh, the dichotomy involved there is that I go see Moon Taxi around here, and it's all these kids singing along with every word and going ape shit. And then you go to Lock, and they're playing in the afternoon, and there's, it's like a scattered crowd. You know, it's just, it's, it, it's so odd. But they are slowly taking over and getting an audience beyond the young folks. More and more older folks are beginning to realize that there's, there's more to this band than kids singing along with their songs. This is a, a great, great band. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to close out the show with an interview with um, Mike Greenfield from Lotus. Yes, and we'll get into that more later. But shall we? Shall we slide on over to Moon Taxi? Well, let's not slide over. Why don't we take a flight to Morocco? Just 
sick and tired of the pouring rain I took the train to Morocco just to kill the pain Oh, it might help a little, it might help a lot I don't know, but it's all I got Ran down the aisle and found a window by the bar I blew a cigarette to pieces so I lit up a cigar This is Rob, and you're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Moon Taxi. What's Welcome, going guys. on? Hey, yo. Well, we got 80% of them anyways. Yep. True. Yeah, our keys player is absent. That's Wes. Minded or just not here presently? Both. Yeah, depends on the day. It's hot today. It's I- rough on tour. You know, you have to stay hydrated, and today was a scorcher. Oh, my God. You guys had the after... You had a, a what, 1 o'clock set... It must have felt like 115 degrees. Rob had his shirt off. Gladly. Thanks for that. <laughs> that was fun. By the way. Oh, Great tribal. You. Don't thank. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Beautiful. A little eye candy for you there. Thank you for that. It, it worked <laughs> in my. It worked for me because as soon as you took his shirt off, it was like, wow, look at all this space yeah, I've got. Exactly. Oh, That's nice. called getting dancing room. Yep. <laughs> what was the theme for the set list today? I know you guys work themes sometimes, right? Try to get Rob's shirt off, and yeah. it worked. So that was the theme. <laughs> Now, for real though, you got uh, Rob mentioned this uh, about you all. So, um, what, what's the deal? Can you tell us a little bit about this? As Moon Taxi goes out and you build your set list, you you build themes. What? Tell us a little bit about that. We like to have unique set lists, um, and I think a lot of it depends on the venue, what kind of a crowd we can expect. You know, like here we played more um, kind of improvisational rock, less um, on the pop end of the a spectrum. Bit more on the jam. Yeah, which I think is, you know, rightly so. Because uh, that was kind of the demographic here. And, uh, man, that revolving stage was something else. I think yeah. we're going to have to work that into the set. Well, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> surprised, though. I'm still waiting for the the wheel of jam. Like, you know, oh, yeah. you, you guys just, for example, are playing, and then and then it, you could, like, pick, you know, pick a dead tune that everyone knows, and then the next band and, and turns, and the next band comes on, playing the same song and just segues in, and then right. then you guys hop off, another band hops on, and you know, it comes around again, and you could do this. It could Why totally work. Why don't they do that? I thought that was the Shapiro, whole are you listening to me? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Well, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, let's just be frank here. He's not gonna listen to this. <laughs> How'd you have the chutzpah to put your first album on, on your own label? Necessity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one else was was gonna do it, so we had to. Did you have to? How'd you get the? Did you have to find investors? I mean, how did you uh, finance it? I think the very first album we did was literally twenty five dollars a song, and. Uh, that's how much we paid in the studio. Well, you got your money's uh, worth. I, I, think I, I negotiated five hundred dollars total, whole record, but we could only record on Sunday Sundays, I think. Sundays between two and yeah. three p.m. <laughs> yeah, and we did it like over twelve weeks on Sundays, wow. something like that. We Missed go tour the- and we come back in the studio on Sunday. This is Melodica, our yeah. two thousand seven effort. So we recorded it at a studio owned by some Belmont kids. So that's why we got the bro deal. 
going in there and we were still all in class so it's a very collegiate sounding album and you know we were young songwriters so it it is what it what it is um but we put it out on our own label out of necessity like spencer said um formed an llc right out of belmont um and we called that 12 south records because we were living on 12 south at the time and that has turned into What's the a blossoming just corporate enterprise? Yeah, <laughs> with employees and four hundred one k's, retirement plans, and lawyers, and, and accountants, <laughs> and you know, just and koozies. I understand koozies and merchandise and fans. I mean, we're corporate. <laughs> we'll give you one of our wallet, our I cell phone did, wallet. I did. Did. You yeah. can steal that idea if you like. Yeah. So. We're, We'll take it all. Working on Anything our ticker free. symbol. It'll be what, what can our ticker be? MTX. Anyway, yeah, they're all. They're all As you guys uh, produced, uh, put out rather some some of your albums. I noticed that one of your albums recently was a vinyl, right? You put out, you put your product out on vinyl. Let's talk a little bit about that because, we, um, Rob, you had a question you wanted to actually ask. Well, about we that. talked to Kevin Kinney, and he was talking about how the nature of the current vinyl industry. So many of the big bands are now pressing the vinyl because it's so popular that it's harder for someone at his size to get stuff pressed. Are, are you guys finding that, 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 that you have to kind of wait in line behind the Eagles' greatest hits, as he said, you know? Um, <laughs> each time we've done it, there's been, I mean, a, a good several months wait, I think. When, when, we, when we do it independently, it does mm -hmm. take, take a while. I think it's getting better, though. I think, I think there's, there's been a lot of shops that have opened up. People are pressing to, to be pressed. To, uh, to fill the need. Um, do your fans just gobble it up? Yeah, it's real pop. I mean, we probably, at shows, we probably sell a lot more vinyl than we do CDs. Maybe. Don't quote me on that. But, yeah, they, I mean, I think our fans are the type of people that like vinyl. Mm -hmm. What about cassettes? You putting anything on a cassette? Oh, Rob. Uh, yeah, we'd like to, though. Are cassettes making a comeback now? Indie rock bands are doing it. Huh. I mean, I wouldn't call it a comeback. I mean, well... <laughs> I mean, if you want, been, it's just more for of a some rewind. some here all along. <laughs> well, I mean, just, the first cassette player I've seen in years actually right behind you in this ancient bus that we're sitting on right now. Oh, I've got something you could play on those. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know. Really he does. So, I, you know, we could do it. Most of our fans, I think, stream our music now. Yeah. More than anything. Probably like 80% of our listening comes through streaming. And they come to the shows knowing the lyrics. Yeah, and I know, even right here. And they sing them right to you. Yeah, today here. you hear people the belting it out. A lot of the young girls are just, you know, just yelling it on the top of their lungs, and they know every single every single word. It's got to be gotta, gratifying, and that's a good sign of longevity, yeah. too. That's good. It's, it's, you know, it's really funny when we do covers and they don't know the words, but they act like they do. Ah! <laughs> There like, must be some way. Oh my god! Like what? What's that? Um, what's that one song? You're killing in the name of the end of it. Are we allowed to cuss on? Yeah, oh, hell, oh, yeah. fuck, okay. shit, okay. motherfucker, okay. goddamn. Okay, so then the song goes. Pussy, pussy, it says, dick, fuck. motherfucker. Okay, all right, <laughs> fuck yeah. At the end of the song says, "Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me." Right, but then I've seen so many renditions of people oh, yeah. making that shit up as they're leaving. They're like, "Fuck him, I won't do what he says." <laughs> like, "Fuck no, I don't do that." Like, just, just so got, off. Like, I can't believe it. What's a Jimi Hendrix song that everyone messes up? Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Yeah, <laughs> while I kiss this guy, this guy. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me while you I say rage. hi to David Fry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's stick with Rage Against the Machine for yes. a second, because you guys played the Hangout Festival. Yep. And then you were invited back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
And yeah. you did a set of Rage Against the Machine songs? We did. And first of all, how long did it take you to rehearse and learn all those? We've been kind of piecing them together over the past few years, and it's not the first time we've done it. We did it at the Hangout Fest. But that was so two, two years ago or three years ago, and then we just did it this past summer. Okay, but the Hangout Fest was the first time you did that, and that was pretty yeah. bold for a band, a young band that's mm-hmm. got a growing audience to come out and drop their balls on stage and say, <laughs> fuck you, I'm going to do what my mama told me. Yes. <laughs> but Zach is an amazing singer, I mean. Yeah, well, fortunately we have a Spencer in the band, so. Close second. I didn't get the invite for the Prophets of Rage, though. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been epic. Just sitting into the Nashville show. Yeah. Oh yeah, is that coming up? Yeah, yeah. But I heard your fans were like climbing over the walls to get in there. It was a bit of a scene. Huh? Yeah, it was, was pretty was wild the first, the first year. Yeah. They were it coming was wild up the first year. They were coming up out of the sand, and they were swimming in like dolphin. Yeah. Actually, they were swimming up like seals with a real porpoise. It really was pretty. <laughs> no, that would have been dolphin. They were, oh, they were fuck. I fucked like that up. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. It was like Walking Dead style, just coming over, or sneaking into the dead style, or just like zombies hopping a fence and plummeting to their death. Like it was Yikes! You mentioned songwriting, and so here you you know you're covering, doing a big thing like that. But then you bring the you bring new audience in. But you guys for for the generation of you know jam rock etc. Um, that you guys are putting out there, a mix of I mean you can even throw indie rock into your into your vein. Um, but you guys you have an emphasis on songwriting. Who's the primary songwriter here? Yeah, we all write a little bit. Uh, last couple albums, Wes, myself, Trevor, we, we, we all kind of chip in. Um, I wrote a fair amount of lyrics on the last record, strangely enough. Don't really know why. Um, well, and you, and your your music does reach a far, out. far generation. <laughs> My son, for example, loves Morocco. He loves Morocco. Who doesn't, right? Who are, who, so who's... That was, uh, that was mainly Spencer, I think, if not entirely. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote the verses, melody and lyrics, and the little guitar lick. And just kind of threw it out there. So you bring that to the band. Tell us a little bit about the process, if you don't mind, because you guys are. Yeah. To what extent yeah. does the? the... So like, I mean, for that song, for example, I actually wrote uh, uh, wrote the, the what is the guitar lick on a keyboard. I, I write usually like in front of a keyboard, in front of a or in front of a computer, in front of a recording setup. Basically, just kind of record as I write, <laughs> uh, as opposed to like sitting with. I rarely sit with a guitar and write sometimes, but not much. Um, so I wrote the little keyboard lick, and then I put some, I programmed some drums on it, um, and then uh, you know, I actually, it was it was raining in in Nashville, so the first line, so sick and tired of the pouring rain, just came, and then the rest of it just kind of yeah. came out. I don't know, you know, it's, like, it's kind of like a subconscious thing. You just, I don't know why you say the things you say. It just kind of happens. It was it wasn't like an intentional. Let's let's tell a story about Morocco. It has nothing to do with much. I mean, it's just, you know, you just kind of, words come out and you just say, well... Perhaps it, you're eating falafel at the time. Maybe. Um, but, but when one of you brings a kernel of an idea to the band, does the does the writer take possession of it heavily, or is it really just get into your hands and let it go? See, see I think where... it depends how developed the kernel is once it's presented to the band. Like, Spencer is a whiz on the computer, so he usually presents ideas in, like, a fully formed manner, like, where you can actually hear them, whereas, like, maybe if Tommy or if I had an idea, it'd be more like a, hey, I'm going to play this idea for you, and let's let's kind of work on it together. But 
when we learn it in a studio, I mean, everyone has their influence over it, and that's when it really becomes a full band project. When you start like making demos, you'll you'll run into hiccups that you know something's gonna have to change other than the way you had it in your head. It happens all the time. It's like, oh, this actually isn't fitting very well, or the drum beat I had in my head isn't gonna mesh well with the chorus drum mm-hmm. beat. So you kind of that's where Spencer's extremely gifted is because when he writes like that, you don't run into those hiccups. You're you're meeting them as you. Or writing the song. Well, I imagine that you also have a relationship, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like a, a marriage where someone finishes each other's sentences and yeah. can help, yeah. help keep that flow. Yeah, and, and things will sound differently coming out of my mouth when I'm singing them as opposed to like how Spencer maybe had envisioned them in his head, but then we'll just work it out together just like problems in a marriage, you mm-hmm. know? You, you overcome these obstacles together and I think that's what makes them uh, uniquely us. And is, is the music still pouring? You have new stuff coming yeah, through absolutely. you all? We have a bunch of new tunes. Um, not really ready to record, but we're in the process of just, you know, spitballing ideas out there, throwing everything out. And it sort of comes back to what Spencer says. It's like uh, subconscious. You're just throwing out ideas, and then you'll sort them out later. But it's just right now is the, the time where you're just, like, trying to get as much out as possible and then turn them into songs and do you find that you're you're more creative when you're on the road and you're touring versus when you're steady no, to be honest no I'm, I'm able I, I actually I think I I'm able to write lyrics maybe better on the road than at home sometimes just because moving and being in different places can be helpful as opposed to just waking up and being at your house like mm-hmm. day after day there's not much to grab you know new stuff to grasp but when you're in new situations uh, I've written a lot of lyrics like that uh, just because you wake up someplace new and um but yeah, I mean, then eventually we just need to like get into a, a room and work out the songs, yeah. you know. And that's just the touring life is pretty hectic, and you know, any spare moment you get, you kind of just want to relax. Uh, so it's it's kind of a different mindset, a little bit. Yeah, there's not really time to write. I mean, you're you're rushing to get to the next city. You're throwing your equipment up on stage. You're like lucky if you can get a nice sound check and a nice shit in. Making a little bit of time for us here. For annoying podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do this bullshit. Uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of the road and stuff like that, um, wow, the Tabernacle last year, that was that was an amazing show, and that was really big. I mean, the Tabernacle's energy of that room, I mean, it's amazing. Oh, what was it like for you guys awesome. the first time you played the Tabernacle? And I mean, I've seen so many shows there. It was incredible. It was a cathartic experience, and didn't really know how to handle it at first. We walked up on stage, and I think we opened up with Year Zero, and it's like, I couldn't even hear my voice. I was singing it, but I couldn't hear it and blended in with the room it was an amazing feeling so next uh, you guys haven't done red rocks yet or have you we have oh, we you opened have? up okay. for umphreys uh two oh, years ago right. or so that's right and so. uh you know eventually gonna make our way there to Absolutely. do our own show yeah. no Absolutely. doubt no doubt you got plans for new year's eve no, yes but not released <laughs> hey dawson no. can we go ahead and announce that <laughs> yeah we, this won't air for another couple weeks yeah. <laughs> uh, what's bad. your halloween plans those uh, are nice. Chattanooga. We always play Track 29. Oh, we're doing a run of doing? shows too, like Memphis. And What's the guy Augusta? from Track 29? Is that, is that uh, Dan? Yeah. Is he still there? Rather? Sure. Wasn't it Dan Rather, Track 29? Rather. I know, not the. <laughs> not. not <laughs> CBS News. Courage. Signing off. Courage. <laughs> the guy that quit, right? Ah, uh, well, I don't CBS know. CBS News? Oh, he did. Oh, did no, he? no, they edged him out. Williams. He also quit. Now he got fired. He did get fired for lying. Dan yeah. Rather you stepped lie. down for reporting false news on George W. Bush. That's what it was. I remember. I'm a news junkie. 
But your past themes, you've had a Star Wars theme one year for Halloween, right? What are some of yep. your other themes? Um, we, oh, we did cool. uh, space, well, space Rocket Man. We did spa- a space theme last year, and uh, this year we're going to do Game of Thrones. Maybe. Oops. Listen, Maybe. can I make a suggestion for you? Maybe. Game, of Thrones, Game of Thrones is great. But let's face it, you got a nice looking audience. Why don't you make a game of thongs? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Creepy old man. I'm not creepy. creepy old man. <laughs> Rob, I was thinking of you in a thong. Oh, well. Nice. Actually, no, I wasn't. I just got that's a little throw up in my That's not good. <laughs> and you guys got in just under the gun uh, with uh, David Letterman. I think 30 years oh, from now, yeah. it'll be like having played Johnny Carson. Yeah. I mean, what was that experience like? That. like? Really cool. I was just really happy that we got in there before we quit. I mean, that was amazing. How we're, did you we're get in there? We were the last bands that got to, and it was our first one. How did you get in there? I mean, being a young band and... You know, uh, we, had a, we have a great publicist. And who's that, if you don't mind? Uh, Gina Schulman and Tasha Swisco. What yeah. company do you have? Press here. Press here, okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, they're great. And and they, some- we've been with Gina the whole time we had someone else named Ashley but she ended up wanting to work with movie stars mm-hmm. and then Tasha came in and started killing it for us too and sometimes on these appearances you go man bun is that a managerial decision or are you encouraged to do that or uh, is that just a spontaneous thing or uh, the last man bun was was pre-planned it was a predetermined bun <laughs> predetermined uh, bun yeah well my mom says she's like you have such a handsome face why don't you let them see it she's like why don't you cut that beard and I'm like mom I'm gonna do what I want mom I'm trying to mom mom I'm trying to talk to it's my taxi it's my taxi Uh, (laughs) anyway so that that was kind of her influence over me but we did dress up like the reservoir dogs we had the you know skinny ties and uh, really sleek looking Coats because Quentin Tarantino was the guest. That was a managerial suggestion. That was a good suggestion. <laughs> um, but that was on that wasn't on Letterman. It was on uh, Seth Meyers. Seth. Oh no, I'm Seth yeah. Weiner. Seth. Oh, Myers. the show. Oh, sorry, I got a little confused. So, you you had a funny some, Seth. Uh, Seth Meyers. Yeah, oh. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for listening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's not inside out with Seth. <laughs> so you guys, uh, you've had some big milestones. We just mentioned Red Rocks. We mentioned the Tabernacle. What's what's next on the horizon? What's or and it doesn't mean that it's happening. What are some of the uh, each one of you? What's what's what goal do you have? What's gonna what's the next big like? Oh fuck yeah, Mom! Guess what I just did. <laughs> uh, Mom, I want to headline Red Rocks. Headline Red Rocks. Yeah. All right. I think one. a new album would help that. Yeah, working on that. I'd like to tour abroad. Maybe. What, uh, what's her name? <laughs> oh, you mean Europe? Yeah, mainly Europe. Um, you know, Japan would be amazing. Just you know, out of the continental U.S., mm-hmm. down in South America would be awesome. Yeah, they treat American musicians like kings in Japan. And Do Europe, really? you play small rooms, but then you open up a whole new merchandise market. That would be right? cool. How, would you go for like the Dominican or Mexico? Either one. Cloud9, if you're listening. Cloud9, if you're listening. Moon Taxi is quite available for any of your destination gigs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it would be fitting, especially like the Avid Brothers or One right. Big Holiday. I'm just saying, I think you guys would be a good fit oh, for yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that'd but. be wonderful. I've actually been to that resort. The one they do it at. Hard Rock? Yeah. Is that in Cancun or is that in it's, Dominican? Well, it's, it's, no, that Cancun. Playa del Carmen? Playa, yeah, right around there. I've been there. Who are some of the guests you guys have had on stage? Well, we're not done asking, going oh. down the line. Milestones. Oh, with, uh, go. Milestones. Rob, jeez. Spencer? Um, yeah, I mean, we're at a place where, you know, I feel like we're, we've been at it long enough and uh, put out enough music that I, uh, 
you know, not that I don't want to keep achieving more things, but I, I, I like the place that we're at. Um, it's not really a milestone, but... That's a healthy it's attitude, just, though, I guess. Uh, so you, you're, you, you live in the perspective of, if I die today, I'm happy with the life I've lived to the time of now. Uh, yeah, that's, that was really deep, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll... <laughs> so this, you're happy with the life you lived to the time of... <laughs> Welcome to my world, guys. I'm just excited Stop. to be on this podcast. Yes. See? Yeah. Go ahead and give the them the money that you have. I've, I've, heard, I've heard some of you listen. Is that true? We've no. checked out. Checked out. <laughs> <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> it's come highly recommended by reliable people. Like you, Rob Turner. <laughs> but the guest question. Who are some of the guests you found on and who are some musicians you'd love to play with? Um, we once had the opportunity to play with Derek Trucks. Um, and this was before we played our first Bonnaroo. And I wrote a theme song called the Bonnaroo theme song and this was like two weeks out before our performance and we were opening up for them in Pittsburgh and tracked him down and sound check and was like hey will you sit in on this and he's like oh fuck it yeah I'll do it and it's that was like the best moment that I've ever played with like you know the, the top notch musician was jamming with Derek Trucks mm-hmm. an amazing slide player I mean hyperbole I get annoyed by hyperbole but he the single note stuff he does is mind blowing he might be the greatest slide player living yeah I I would agree with you. I would agree. And to answer the next question that Rob has, we'll close up with this. Uh, who do you want to have sitting with you? Okay. Dead or alive? Dead or alive? Yeah, that why not? A whole new world. Michael Jerry Jackson. Michael. Michael fucking Jackson. That'd be so sick. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what about Bernie? Does what about Bernie? I bet he plays something. Oh, he definitely plays the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I played the Bernie room. Man right now. Bernie Man. Oh my God! That why the fuck didn't Fishman? That's what he should have done. A Fishman festival just called Bernie Man. Bernie Man. That would've been good. Be good. Well, thank you guys so much. Congratulations on all your your current success. And there's no doubt you guys are going far. Not because of your music, but because of the team you have with Dawson Wilson and your publicist. You guys have a great team. But seriously though, your music's fantastic. Keep thank up you. the great work. And let's sit down for a long chat in Atlanta sometime. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Crossing the desert when I lost the caravan I found a compass in a box Buried underneath the sand Oh, it might help a little It might help a lot I don't know what it's all I got Running in circles I was losing my mind When you found me and you led me To the water just in time
was Moon Taxi and yet another band singing the praises of Derek Trucks, a man who has emerged as one of the leading voices in guitar rock. Wouldn't you say, Colonel? Colonel Bruce is joining us. Actually, I'll go a step further, and I've never heard anybody with more tone on any instrument, including Pavarotti, Horowitz, or Mstislav Rostopovich, or anybody on any instrument. He's got more tone than anybody, or bring me somebody else. <laughs> To what extent do you think the fact that he studies world music, like East Indian classical and all that kind of stuff, that makes him more of an informed player, right? Well, it's I've what known him since he was a single digit, and he was open to everything back when he was 9 or 10 and doing it. And uh, just, you know, it was a natural for him. I mean, all music's the same, you know, as long as it's from the heart and the intent's right. Do you still bring him gifts when yeah. you see him? Yeah. Still he brings me gifts, too. Yeah. No, yeah. but you, you, the the story behind it for folks that are listening is Bruce used to uh, give oh, yeah. Derek a 16th gift. Sixteenth birthday, yeah. yeah. Always something different and to influence him. And Derek would have to come back and say, "All right, Bruce, I get it now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the the but, Indies thing was was part of that too. Didn't yeah. you bring him Nusraf Alakan? Yeah, Alak Barkan. Allah. Okay. But uh, Bruce Rat, I gave him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gave him a Coltrane album and a Sunrise album when he was 16, and he probably said the best musical quote I've ever heard. It was, I get to him at four and we were listening to it, and then at nine o'clock he said, that music still sounds good. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a quote as you can get yeah. about music. I hope and it give sounds us- good five hours later. Yeah, I hope he'll give us all a gift and show up at the Fox, but he's got his own gig there like 10 weeks later, so no, we, can't, we can't count on that, right, Seth? No, I can't count on anything. You know what you can count on? The number seven. You can always count on the number seven. You can also count on the number 14. Actually, I had a number question, Oh. but we'll get to that in a minute because I wanted to one more thing on Moon Taxi because, Colonel, I remember when you toured up north with ARU and you were first seeing fish. You said something about fish that I believe applies to Moon Taxi today. When you look out in the crowd, there's all these kids singing along with every word. Girls. No, the key is women. <laughs> well, yes, women. The pool strategy. women are singing, you'll Dave. make money. If they're not, then the men are crossing the arms, and you can make a living, but you can't make money. It's a pull strategy. <laughs> you get the women, and you pull the man in. I, I called we, Dave Matthews open for us and Fish open for us the first time and there were 12 women in the front of them singing the lyrics and I called Phil Walden and I went sign both of these groups now and he went no nah, I'm not going to sign them. <laughs> Six months later he offered them millions of bucks and I go there's women singing their songs. That's the key to it. Men don't. It doesn't matter about men. Men are following the women to the thing. Men don't like music. They just show up. You know? <laughs> don't quote me on that. So actually, uh, that's a good question. So what is, uh, Matt's still here. Matt, what is the ratio of uh, male to female on the ticket sales, or is that not counted? Depends on the group. <laughs> no, we're talking about your birthday show. Uh, the, the Fox. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have those, those metrics yet, but we will, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll find out the answer for you, Seth. All right, we'll be backstage waiting. Colonel, uh, I, is it, it's my understanding that when this was initially brought to you, you, you did not want to do it? I'm I'm a mild and lazy guy, basically, and uh, I like to stay under the radar. In the last ten years, I haven't been marketing myself very much, and uh, all of a sudden it came, and uh, two people said I have to do it. <laughs> so I, I don't have a mind anymore. I just follow it, any, whatever he says. Or <laughs> I just you know they say go to Guatemala and bring back pineapple. I do. 
You know, you, I follow my wife's orders. You're not going to you know. be embarrassed all night, are you? Embarrassed? <laughs> I live in the theater of embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what what elements of Zambi do can we expect? That's a good question. Given that there's a time limit, to what extent can we do the improv that we're used to from you? Well, Zambi, you can't. Zambi is, time is ended, number one. And Zambi's on the other side of time. I don't know if the Fox staff will go on with that. he's on the other side of space. (laughs) And time and space are collapsing to bring more now, which is Zambiism in its highest form. So you can't predict Zambi at all. But he said this the other day. I said, what are the two states under Idaho? And he said, Georgia and Florida. Once again, he's right. (laughs) (laughs) When did you first meet Zambi? Do you remember? 1973, August 4th. Yeah. He was a sound man in a club in Pensacola, Florida. And I said, how do you get to your house? He had tapes. He said, go to the fork and take it. (laughs) Yogi Berra, too. (laughs) And he left Pensacola because of the traffic moved to Atlanta. That's what I like. (laughs) Joe, what's Tom Brady going to do against the Falcons? Three or 400 yards, whichever comes first. (laughs) It's endless. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about the Seahawk Super Bowl last interview, which, by the way, thank you again for being our first guest on this podcast. You are the godfather of this show. Thank you, sir. That's an honor. I love y'all's intention, and I wish the world knew you existed. Well, we appreciate that. They will. They will. So, you know, one thing thing we're thinking, and I don't know know, if it's going to be possible or not, but when Peavy's down here, maybe maybe Peavy will stick around, and we can go to the baseball park with him. You had a particular one in mind, too, Rob. What are you talking about? Taking PV to park? Taking yeah. Him out to Gwinnett? No, you had you wanted to interview Bruce at and the Tycop Museum. That was out it. in uh, Royston. Royston, yeah. He's never been to it. Just Not a many thought. People have <laughs> apparently, yeah. Talk about purity of intention. Tycop, ty, it's. I'm trying to reach Tycop through a medium size person. All right. So back to the numbers thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's this great Bob Dylan interview, and I just was wondering if, if the number 32 means anything to you. One and one is two, but what's one? So it's three minus two is one. Because the, the, he has this, he's putting out this triple CD, right? 32, and that's his number. Each disc is 32 minutes long that's and smart. 10 songs. So wow. the, the guy asks... Um, it's Bill Flanagan, one of those guys you always see executive producer at the end of documentaries. Oh, yeah. I always thought he was just a guy with money, but he's on Sirius uh, Music Channel now, and he's a really, really good interviewer. Each disc's each disc is thirty-two minutes long. You could have put all on two CDs. Is there something about the ten-song, thirty-two-minute length that appeals to you? Now, do I read in Dylan voice or in my voice, Seth? Uh, you kind of did a little bit of both, but go ahead. Sure, it's a number of completion. It's a lucky number, and it's symbolic of light. As far as the 32 minutes, that's about the limit to the number of minutes on a long playing record where the sound is most powerful. 15 minutes to a side. My records were always overloaded on both sides. Too many minutes to be recorded or mastered properly. My songs were too long and didn't fit the audio format of an LP. The sound was thin and you you would have to turn your record player up to 9 or 10 to hear it well. So these CDs to me represent the LPs that I should have been making. How do you respond to that? Right answer. Do you Great look back answer. on your on your LPs and feel they were have similar feelings about them? I have no comprehension at all. <laughs> Do you listen to vinyl? I, I just play um, Indian music and Delta blues is basically what I play in my car. I play Srini Boss, the Indian 
uh, mandolin player, and I played five or six Delta blues guys, Skip James, Bucker White, Son House, Robert Johnson, and not much more than that, you know, but I, I love everything. And I'll play a lot of the Motown great early stuff. But that's my, and I do it in the car. I just don't go sit down. Actually, I need a lot of quietude. If I've been on the road a week, I don't want to hear anything for four days, you know. So might you want to salute any of those artists at this event with some of these great artists that are performing with you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Bobby Blue Bland. <laughs> uh, yes, I salute them every day. Are you sending any of the artists Pharaoh's Kitchen for an ideas of potential yeah, material? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the boss knows. Yeah, some of that will be included for sure. I think the, the, the tentative idea at this point is to uh, start at the beginning and, 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 and run to present. So I, I would imagine there will be um, things from every era of the uh, great Colonel Bruce legacy. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to jump into this next interview in a minute, but um, we want a, a little tease uh, in this next, this final segment. Colonel's going to talk about some of these uh, musicians that just recently passed away that he knew personally. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you real quick about, because I mentioned earlier that I'm starting a new podcast called the Timeless Music Podcast, Timeless, po- uh, Timeless Music PC on Twitter. <laughs> Are you sure about that? David Bromberg <laughs> was my first guest. Do you have any... Um, any experiences we with David? played 1968 at a place called the Twelfth Gate on Spring in West Peachtree. And we had a horn, two horn players who were from the Duke Ellington Band. And uh, they were named Michael Bolivar and John Bolivar. And we were playing one afternoon, and he walked in, and we were going stark raving mad, just releasing. And he ran all the way to Georgia Tech. <laughs> I think he's absolutely great. And... He was a violin maker all these years in Philadelphia, and yes. I haven't seen him in 35 years. We have a lot of mutual friends, but I don't know him. We were playing the 12th Gate, though, back 68, 69, somewhere in there. He's actually in Wilmington, Delaware, and he's been credited for uh, get, getting American violins respect. Wow. Because it used to be all about the European ones. Right. But yeah. we get into that in my other podcast. Guadagnini's still amazing. Ugh. I mean, that's that to me, is better than Stradivarius, and people, I would, people would argue a lot. Well, apparently a lot of the Stradivariuses aren't really made by him and were made after he died. Exactly. There's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, it's all, you know your stuff, yeah. <laughs> but Guadagnini's always had that dark tone to him, the ones I've heard people play. Well, I want to get you a copy of his new CD because you would love it and your fans would love it. The blues, yeah. the whole blues, and nothing but the blues on Red House Records. But, but Rob, don't call it an LP because Bruce, when he first heard of the word LP, he didn't quite get it and he thought it meant less pleasing. So he's like, <laughs> I'm not making an LP. But he's someone who would really appreciate vinyl more than most. So I, how can we get Colonel to listen to vinyl? Do we get Ethan Schwartz in on this? No, just we're, have Bruce over. We'll sit down and listen to some old vinyl. We're record all vinyl. Uh, the drummers handle it. And uh, we're trying to get it out this week. It'd be great to get a compilation from this right. event in May. Yeah. Matt, yeah. is there going to be any release of any of this music? We are working on various video and audio options at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of video and audio, our next guest uh, that uh, we have here is uh, Mike Greenfield from the band Lotus. And we, this is when Rob and I sat down. Actually, we didn't sit down with him. I sat down with him. Rob, I was in a bedroom at my buddy's house upstairs in Alpharetta trying to keep my dog quiet in the other room. We, this was our, one of our first uh, attempts at uh, We're doing still the, attempting. I hate yeah, the phone stuff. Right. I hate it. Well, except for you do, you do other things with phones, but we'll save that I 976 number it, for another it, time. It. Sounds terrible. All right. Well, without uh, any more of to Rob's uh, phone, Mike Greenfield. Here he is. 
holidays and uh, we've got a special guest i'm actually calling a remote uh but the weird part about this is normally you call in remote to the studio whereas the studio is calling a remote from the dominican to my co-host rob turner how are you i'm in our undisclosed location on the outskirts of atlanta georgia and our guest here in the dominican holidays mike greenfield hello Thanks from the for band me. lotus <laughs> Well, Great to you. have you, Mike. Thank you for joining us during your vacation. Of course, of course. Glad to be here. Workcation, workcation. Workcation, exactly. Did you do a, an excursion on this one? No, I didn't. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm leaving early. I have a uh, brand new baby at home. And oh, I was going to ask you where I, your wife was. Mazel yeah, tov. yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I didn't want to be gone too too long. I'm already in a doghouse a little bit just for leaving her at home. And but, how's uh, the little Herzl doing? <laughs> She's doing great, you know. She's uh, she's a little over three months now, and she's starting to smile and interact a little more, and that's really cool. And sleeps throughout the whole night, which is the best part since she was about Lucky two weeks bastard. old. Yeah, yeah, you know. So uh, if you can sleep, you can do anything. I think so. It's uh, it's been cool. It's been amazing. And I'm sure the fans want to know what is her favorite song. <laughs> She hasn't heard any yet. Well, actually, no, that's not true. She actually came to our sound check in Philly, um, but I think she slept through the whole thing. So uh, the jury may be still out on that one. You must but, have uh, played Dreams. <laughs> hey, Mike, um, compare and contrast for me the difference between playing a gig like the one you were there to play and playing somewhere like Japan. Ooh, um, very different just because here it's still the same fans that I see uh, all the time. It, it was even interesting looking out in the audience last night and we're in a different country and Lotus isn't even the headliner. And I still recognized maybe like 20, 25 percent of uh, <laughs> the kids in the in the first 10 rows, you know. Right on. And, I like it. Yeah. And Japan, um, obviously, it's uh, for us, you know, we've never seen a lot of them ever before but they know uh all the the music they're singing along and uh just incredible fans it's uh i think it makes it a little it, it makes it a little bit more of a unique experience going over there compared to this it just feels like we're same same thing but we're in a cooler setting tropical so yeah it's a disco as the disco biscuits would say home again home again exactly <laughs> or here in here in the dominican they say magnifico magnifico but i mean it's a great festival i mean i go to so many festivals and this is i think this is the best in the game you know it's uh it's incredible we know how you got here obviously by the 25 percent of the fan base but uh <laughs> no, but how do you get to japan how did that uh transition i mean that's been going on before i was in lotus they were going uh a lot and you know playing in front of five people and sleeping on floors and doing that whole thing and um they're just such incredible music fans over there when, when they like something they they uh they just love it tell all their friends and the audience has been growing every year and they still buy records over there they're still tower records uh really? when you go to tokyo yeah yeah because they, they don't be pirate drive. no no yeah they don't pirate music they don't <laughs> they don't commit any crimes it's it's amazing like we even when we did fuji rock it was like seventy thousand people 
people wow. and it wasn't one piece of garbage on the ground you know it's so like it's just uh everything's to the book and so it's it's a i love going over there i hope we go uh, again soon well if you so. need someone to carry your luggage or a drum head I'm <laughs> rob and i are happy to help out we can do podcasts in tokyo <laughs> we I think can we can do them anywhere apparently <laughs> now we're still uh, in the wake of eat the light uh you're two, you're released from about five months ago is that correct yeah about that yeah and this is the first uh lotus release to have vocals on every song yeah true very true so kind of a big step for you Yes, it is. It's it's, and I want to touch on that for a second because last night you got what was the song you guys closed with last night? Uh, it was from one of your older well, that albums. was that was an old one. That's called right. Umbilical Moonrise. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so that song I was really enjoying watching the crowd's interaction with it, and I had this like thought, and it's just like that song, the way you guys were, the way you were performing it, yeah, was was almost so that you had these you had lyrics without lyrics. Your music was so lyrical without lyrics, and and the message was such this like connective thing. And, and the thing is, it wasn't just me saying that I, I, after I was listening to people and they were sharing their experience of the, that set and they were saying that, right. So I was yeah. just thinking that, and that, so it's interesting that that's that experience. And then here your new album has lyrics. Yeah. Very Perhaps true. we could yeah. play some of that song. Sure. This quote that you guys put out with the CD, and I'd like you to kind of expound upon it. You say that on this album, we wanted to occupy that powerful place of the human mind, the mental eye that can see erosion and cracks and envision a palace. I did not say that because I am not nearly that eloquent. So I'm sure that was one of the Millers. Um, and it was unattributed. It was actually an unattributed quote. It, yeah, that, I mean, that's either Jesse or Luke, I imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Lotus, Jesse and Luke write all the music. And even with that album, I got those demos about a week before we recorded it. So I, when we recorded it, I read charts off of everything. Um, so I, it was news to me that we were doing an all vocal album uh, at that time, too. And I was um, surprised as well. Um, Could they make you have singing lessons? <laughs> You do not want to hear me sing. Chuck has a great voice, but uh, yeah, no, keep me out of that. Well, there um, is a tape uh, circulating, by the way. It happens to be your bar mitzvah. But <laughs> now, my half Torah rocks, I'll tell you. Yeah. You're generally given the framework for the songs, correct? And then you guys are allowed to, to uh, you know... It- put your own character in, into the composition. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They had, they give us demos with like, um, you know, just like stripped down, uh, drum parts and everything. And then, and then we flesh it out. And when we meet before we all live in different cities. So when we come together, we have very long rehearsals, usually lasting like eight or nine hours. And we just go through everything and fine tune all the arrangements. And so, uh, you know, that's where we could be a little bit more vocal and, you know, let's try to do this here. Let's try to put that there. Um, and then with the live shows with the improv, you know, that's when it's a equal, 
equal playing field between all of us. But you know, as far as the writing, that's uh, that's down to the Millers. You know, is, is is there a song on the album that you feel has a particularly pronounced stamp of your own rhythmically on the song on the new album? Um, I mean. A lot of that album is very straightforward drum wise. It's, you know, it's simple dance tracks. So, you know, it's it's not that so much I was going for trying to put my stamp on there, trying to make it. This is Mike Greenfield. It was more me supporting the song. And, and you know, this is a dance track. This song is about the vocals, about the melodies. And I just tried to support that. So I, I kind of took uh, a more foundational approach to it drum wise. So uh, so. Uh, short answer is no. <laughs> so, so when you do the the Bowie stuff or the Talking Heads stuff, to what extent are you putting your stamp on that, and to what extent are you just gonna gonna lay back and kind of, you know, how do you walk that line? That seems like it would be even trickier, perhaps, than on an original. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's almost the same thing. I mean, if you give any drummer, any of the guys here, if we all play four and a floor beat, a dance beat, um, even though we're playing the same exact notes, everyone's going to sound a little bit different. The hi-hat patterns may be accented a little bit differently. Someone may put the snare a little behind the beat. Someone may put it a little forward. So, you know, th there's that. But especially with uh, Talking Heads, Bowie stuff, it's... Um, um, it, it, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to try to throw crazy fills or anything over that music because it's not warranted. Um, you know, I try to I try to stay true to the music, but, you know, through just like little things, little accents, you know, just try to make a little bit of my own. So then when in you're playing with uh, Lotus or any of your other side projects that you that you do. Right. Do you uh, would your would a listener really be able to see your your stamp? <laughs> It, it's funny. One of my friends, she uh, she was down in California. She just recently texted me about this. And she, she said, I heard a recording and I knew it wasn't Lotus, but it sounded like you. And it was freaking me out. And I asked them and, and they, they said it was a Biscuits. But she said it, she knew it was me and that, and that it wound up that it was an Electron recording, uh, you know, yeah. so well, she could sense. tell. Yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. Right. You know, so I mean, and that's something that a lot of drummers really strive for. And, you know, a lot of drummers have it more than me. Like, you know, you listen to John Bonham or Stuart Copeland and two seconds you know it's it's them you know so just trying to have your unique voice um at the same time you know like if you know, when we were doing the pink floyd set i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try to do fast 16th note fills <laughs> and everything you know i'm, I'm playing dark side of the uns. yeah you know <laughs> I'm, I'm really trying to um capture what nick mason was doing and you know maybe putting little things here or there but still staying true to what that music calls for who's the sax player uh was on jam cruise that sat in with you guys oh, oh man rob you I, know what i'm talking about i forgot his name but he was amazing he was great yeah yeah i, I forgot his name he had the the fro <laughs> you know uh rob you know what we're talking about oh kamasi washington no 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 not this year's jam cruise we're not this is not we haven't had jam cruise yet rob uh, <laughs> last year um Oh my God! Just a jazz name too. I, I can't believe I'm spacing like this, but we'll fill. We'll this will we'll actually do an edit here and. Okay, there you go. Sure, but that sure. was incredible though. Like that set was pro that that must have been fun because you know you guys came on board. It was going to be a fun set, but there's no way you go into that knowing that was going to be the takeaway from Jam Cruise. No, no, it's it's it was amazing too. It's funny. I was. Uh, thinking about a quote Barber told me a while ago. He said, when you're, when you're playing music right, you get the chills. And um, after that set, I definitely had chills. Yeah, actually, during it, you no, know. The whole it's, time. Come on, everybody had chills. Yeah, oh, it was God. just, and the, even the weather added to it. Yes. Just like, it was almost like, like a monsoon hitting, like, you know, the stands are almost falling over, but 
it was really cool. And I was thinking about that set too, you know. Um, the set too, there's only one set. No, no. <laughs> uh, we'll be here all night. Thank you. Um, it, it was, I felt almost like a sense of relief going and playing the Pink Floyd songs just because sometimes as a, as a musician, you feel like you need to like uh, bring your best a game and 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 do something really impressive and with these songs you could do nothing but like just lay back and play as simple as possible and just lay back in that pocket and um and just let you know everyone has a place everyone has this thing and it comes together in this one sound and you can't do anything more and uh it's cool and i you know i try to feel i try to copy that feeling now a little bit more you know why should i try to impress people when i'm playing lotus songs you know why can't i just sit back and and be more simple and let's and, face it yeah. they're paying attention to the guitarist what are you talking about <laughs> no one knows who i am anyway but that's but do you know what if they are paying attention to the guitar player i feel like i'm doing my job because drums are a foundational instrument you know mm-hmm. i feel it, it especially in a band like this it's not my job to shine it's my job to support who either you know if we're doing one of the vocal songs it's my job to support the vocalist if if Rempel's soloing it's my job to make him sound better and i just want to i want to shift a little bit and talk business because as uh, as our listeners know but now you'll do as well it's uh, this podcast inside out is about the industry as well as the fan perspective uh rob and um <laughs> one thing about the industry i want to ask you i've noticed now i've noticed i've known the band lotus for several years i've worked with you guys for years when i was a promoter early in the uh you know 2000s and whatnot but there's something different going on right now on your marketing and i'm curious to know is there is that something internal with the organization like the band or is there do you guys hire someone because there's a new presentation that you guys are putting out and whatever it is is working oh thanks yeah we do have a publicist um and i think especially with this album just because it is a vocal album and the songs aren't 15 minutes long that they can take it and run with it a little bit more um so i know that they've been approaching um you know radio stations more and i think even one of our tracks was on the soup uh, one of the football games last week or something like that all right yeah yeah well nice. it was just a little loop um and uh he, our publicist even told me that we were uh you know that he was trying to talk to some of the late night uh television hosts and you know so it's i think with that it's a, it's um it's a little easier to market but i'm pretty removed from that you know from the the managing side of the band. I just kind of show up and mm-hmm. smash things. So uh. well, can, can I, can I ask you this? Like we, I live in Atlanta right. where about a year, a year ago, you proved that you could play the 25, 2700 seat tabernacle, yeah. but now you're, you're coming back. You're going to playing the multiple night at a smaller room thing. Now, is that something, are you the kind of band that discusses that to that, in, to that level? That's or? more, yeah, that's management. That's more of a management thing. I think really, so you, you, you guys are still Opus one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know that maybe Jesse is Jesse is pretty much the middleman in between management and the band too, um, so they may talk about it a little bit. Part of it is also like when we have a big production going out where we're we're flying everyone in from all over the country and we have the lights coming down. Sometimes it's it's uh, it makes more sense to do two nights as opposed to just the one. Um, so Don't worry, that's just your wife. Yeah, just just my wife yelling at me. I'm going to turn this off. Sorry. So what do you do to Jesse when he delivers bad news? <laughs> what would the bad news be? <laughs> I don't know. Is he ever in an awkward position being that liaison? 
Not really. I mean, we haven't gotten too much bad news, you know, and, and even like if it's something serious, the manager will talk to me like even, you know, when I I had to miss four shows over the summer with, uh, with the birth of my daughters. And that was just, you know, that wasn't through Jesse that I was talking. I was just talking with uh, Mike Sanders, who's our manager directly. And we were just trying to figure it out. And then they took it from there. Um, but, you know, even oh, down. Was, to, yeah. I'm so sorry. you left the road when your when your daughter was born. I didn't necessarily. Well, we haven't. That's very admirable. Yeah, yeah. We we only really do long tours in the winter, um, and then after that, it's it's small runs or just like weekends. We've just been doing a lot of weekends, um, so I had to miss two weekends of uh, of shows. And um, in the winter, I noticed that you guys go south. Would that be a defrost tour? Oh, I yeah. I, I, I'm I'm excited. Usually, we start the winter tour in Burlington. So, uh, Burlington. At least, yeah, yeah. I, oh, it gets bad. It gets well. Bad, the basketball so. player Al Horford missed one game to have to go to his wife when she was having the kid. And the Celtics fans <laughs> are being pretty rough on him. Yeah, <laughs> I disagree. Be there when your kid's being born. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I couldn't I couldn't miss like that. Each you know. human's only born once. That's now, true. Another That's true. interesting thing, and being here at the Dominican Holidays to bring this kind of all back here. You know, Sector 9, the Disco Biscuits, these are bands that were doing the sound that they're doing now, still yeah, doing. Yeah. But it was, it was you know, back in the late 90s, it was like this thing where was, you had the ravers and you had the jam band kids and then you had this mix thing. Right. And then you guys came into the scene, you know, and I remember with the Harmonized Record and that whole time as well. And the P Group was out there and there's all these bands like, but the thing is, you got and you're one of the bands that actually did last that whole time. You know, you, you, you guys calmed down a little bit, but you, you've stuck through and you guys are still there. And this sound, this music that, that was, that was this mixing of a scene now is a scene. And when you look and you see the 18 year olds to 24 year olds, they don't even, they were never exposed to it being anything but what they're seeing. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't join Lotus until 2009. So I missed a lot of that early, uh, but interactions that they had with the fans, but I was still playing like bands like the Ally, and I was friends. Oh, that's right, yeah, the yeah. Ally, mm-hmm. which yeah. is uh, for the, those listening. If you like the Disco Biscuits, and then you liked Brothers Past, you'd probably like the Ally. Yeah, I remember the, the CD. The, the CD pops in my mind is like a white CD with lines on it. That's what I remember. Yeah, I it was Doodles, but the the guy he's a, he's a famous graphic designer now who. Uh, who uh, created the art for that album? But um, wow. yeah, it was it was it was an incredible time of music to be involved with that. And through the Ally, that's how I met Lotus the first time mm-hmm. too. It was just like one random show where we opened for them in uh, Indiana, and that's how I became friends with them and stayed friends. And if it wasn't for that one show, I would wouldn't be playing with them. I imagine you know. So it's, it's that, weird, you know. Sometimes those one shows just uh, can opportunities always. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. One of those guys in the Ally is also in Yesayer. Yeah, the bass player Ira Tuton. I didn't know that either. Look uh-huh. at that. You know, it's like you we know these we know these cats like Tom Hamilton. It's like, oh, Tom, you know, he's really doing well these days. He's playing with all the <laughs> leftover dead members. Yeah, but then there's yeah. all these other musicians like this that come from that same era and are are doing amazing things. It's, yeah, yeah. And the guitar player Eric Zeiler, he's he's doing great too. He has his own band out now. They, he he just uh he formed a new one. I the name escapes me of the new the new band, but that's he's That's a great uh, name. The name escapes me. <laughs> Have you seen like, the name escapes me? <laughs> so Mike. <laughs> yes, yes. What was the what was the biggest challenge about stepping into a band like Lotus uh, when you did at that point in their career? Um, what was the biggest thing you had to overcome? That's easy. The biggest thing was memorizing over 100 songs. Um especially songs without vocals it makes it a little more tricky to memorize you know so like the first 
I was probably reading charts with them for for several months, probably at least one tour, maybe two tours. I had charts with me before they were all able to sink in. Um, but, you know, it's a lot and every, you know, through one tour, we'll go through 120 songs. So it's not even like we're a normal band where you play the same 12 songs every night where, where it's easy. So um, that was real tricky. But um, as far as like, me fitting in with them uh, like my style I never felt like I had to change the way I play or anything like that it's just like it, it was very organic it fit in very well I, I think you know it, and I should listen back to some recordings from them to see how it's it's changed I haven't really I'll tell you what on this episode we'll do that for you <laughs> Rob you got some research to do buddy let's dig some up we'll dig it up let me ask you a question when you're on a tour and it, and you come back like and it wasn't that good of a tour. Would you grade it like I don't know, grade it a D tour? Oh, God. does it hurt? Does it hurt a little bit? Uh, I thought I was the one with all the dad jokes, man. Well, come you're gonna on. get there. I have a father now, and this is trust me, like you know, this is See, what happens. The cue, the mic is when he when he says, "Let me ask a question." <laughs> that, that's when I run away. Situation, you shouldn't have to ask, ask a question. It's kind of implied. Well, here, you're on a show. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Oh, um, talk about talk okay, about playing with Electron. Does, does Brownie let you guys rehearse? Uh, we actually don't really rehearse that much. Um, we, you know, we, we actually were in a studio a little while ago. We recorded three songs in Philly. But um, the thing with Electron is that Electron has been playing for so long and the catalog isn't that big. It's, you know, what, what do we have, like 20, 25 songs that we cycle through? Um, and um, so it, it's more... I think people who are coming to Electron shows are coming more for the improv um, and just the uh, the interactions between the four of us. Um, but that's great. And, and even, you know, just playing with Electron, the hang is very different than Lotus. The music is very different lo- from Lotus. So it's, um, it's, it's really fun to go back and forth uh, between a two. And Aaron Magner is a very inventive player. It's, as an old grizzled deadhead, it's been a joy for me to watch deadheads find discover him through the billy and the kids thing can you talk about playing with him and uh how he can alternate between being very percussive and very more melodic and kind of textured yeah aaron's amazing um he really he really has uh i don't know like he he has it all you know like he when support when Playing jams, he can really, like I was talking about before, be that foundation for other people to do his thing. And then when it's time for him to shine, um, he, he can just really take over. Uh, he's great with his sounds, very creative with the sounds that he can pull up out of his rig. Um, you know, he's a world-class keyboardist, and uh, I've been playing with him now in different projects, God, probably like 16 years. Um, him and Brownie, you know, so it's, it's, it's been awesome playing with him. And Mark. So you play with these cats on all these other projects, right? Yeah. You have this relationship over 16 to 18 years. How come there's, in Dominican holidays, how come there's not more interaction with, uh, with sit-ins and stuff? Do you, I mean, I'm just noticing that. Maybe I'm missing something or maybe I'm doing activities and it's actually happening. I'm not hearing it. I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like there would be like a little bit more of like some interaction, interactive stuff. Or is it very much the artists are wanting just to showcase their their space yeah maybe it's that and maybe that's more like jam cruises thing where they have There's all the no, that doesn't happen on jam cruise. Oh, what are you doing yeah about? it does all, all the all the jam rooms and everything we don't ever talk about jam cruise on this show oh i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> oi uh, oi oi um 
But um, it's funny because a lot of kids are like, oh, Electron should be playing, you know, because Tommy's here, you're here. And, you know, what, we're going to play biscuit songs while the biscuits are also doing, what, six sets? How many sets? Maybe that's it, too. Maybe because bands are playing not just for one day. You know, the headliners are playing all three, three days each, right? Uh, there's um, four nights. They play three nights. Three each. nights. So that, that's a lot of music right there. So maybe, you know, they don't. Well, that's a lot of music. That's exactly. That's a lot of music. So you're so. you're kind of just like, oh, we, we should have a little filler, you know? <laughs> um, well, Rob, do you got anything else you want to add? Yes, I do. I have one final question because I know you're a drum teacher and I love talking to musicians about how teaching inspires them. Can you talk about ways you've been inspired and maybe music or approaches you've been turned on to from working with students? Yeah, I don't teach as much now as I used to. When I was in my 20s, I taught, I probably was teaching close to 30 students a week. Um, and that was my primary source of income also for several years. Um, and it was really rewarding. Um, I mean, a lot of the students didn't practice, but the ones that did and that you connected with, it was just uh, a really strong bond. And I still stay in touch with a lot of those kids today, all these years later. And, and likewise, I still keep in touch with uh, the guys I studied with also. You know, we, we, we talk every once in a while on the phone. Um, but it's great. You really... A lot of times when you've been playing music for several years, you almost forget how you got to that point. It'll be almost like teaching someone how to walk. You just, you know, you just do it. It's natural. But like when you have to think about it, uh, it forces you to reexamine your technique, why you do things. Um, are and you also about parenting or are you talking about a, drumming yeah, or it's teaching? A, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's all the same thing. Very similar. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And, um, you know, you also have to really stay on top of your game. You know, like um, I had some advanced students that were doing, uh, they were reading through some pretty, uh, intense books you know so my reading chops had to be on point um they would they would bring me in music that i wasn't normally used to listening to and saying how do i play this song by slayer and you know so i had to get my double bass chops going so like uh i i know this is a very cliche thing to say but i i learned uh just as much from them as i think they did from me well that's the beauty of teaching yeah yeah. a real a real teacher is a student that's you know that's true if you don't realize that and you're a teacher you're in the wrong business yeah yeah. you're probably just teaching uh test taking skills exactly exactly. meiosis
very kind. As as we say in the interview, Mike was on vacation in uh, where were you? Mexico somewhere? somewhere? No, that was the Dominican. That was the start of the trip. Mike Bloomfield was back. Not what's his name? Mike Greenfield. He he's a, uh, one of the drummers with Lotus. The mm-hmm. drummer of Lotus. The drummer. The Lotus, drummer. Are they from Atlanta? No, no. They're the uh, you've you've met them on Jam Cruise and some other other I events. Vaguely remember the name, yeah. They're doing quite that well. That was fun, me and JoJo in that room. Well, we both had a blast. Oh, uh, so, so what we were t- uh, Bruce was talking about is they did bingo, and it was uh, JoJo on the keyboard and Bruce calling the bingo numbers, and they just sat there for like an hour and a half and just. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute <laughs> trivia, his baseball trivia. Uh, we'll have to actually after the show we should get with Bruce get a good trivia question because we're sitting down with JoJo in a couple of weeks so we oh, should yeah. uh, we should have something good to ask him on the air and you're going to introduce me to Jake Peavy right <laughs> 2013 Red Sox man all right we have uh, you, know, you know what his trivia is well he was an MVP and won a World Series and Cy Young the same year he was the only pitcher in the history of baseball to win two straight World Series on two different teams. He won one year with San Diego, the next year with Boston or something like that. I think it's in different leagues. Giants or Red Sox. I think two years in a row in different leagues. Yeah, two years. That's it. Yeah, yeah. All right, And he did win the Cy Young. Yeah, smoked the Cy Young back in 07. As we're known to do, we're going to milk some of your some wisdom out of you. Okay. Oh. We'll start with uh, we, we've lost some key musicians, starting with Robert Peanut Johnson of Parliament Funkadelic, who also worked with Bootsy Collins, who you know pretty well, right? I don't know Bootsy too well. Yeah, know him a little bit. But do you know do you do you know Peanut Johnson? I knew Catfish Collins pretty well, his brother, but I didn't know Bootsy too well. I think O'Teal knows him quite well. I met him twice. He was on the boat twice and. Really just smoked the world down. And Peanut, I met once, and Chuck Berry, I met twice. Hmm. Tell us about Chuck, the man who well, really... But get, ask, am I correct with this? Before Chuck, horns were the thing. Chuck really focused people on the guitar, and that kind of is why he's called the father of rock There rock. was Louis Jordan, and he was playing jump music back in 51, 52. And Johnny Johnson was Chuck's piano player. And a lot of credit... Never went to Johnny Johnson, you well, know, and uh, he was, he he sort of started rock and roll in mm. a way, you know, and he never got the credit, not taking anything from Chuck. Anybody who would tell Tchaikovsky the news, the greatest line in rock and roll history, you know, roll over Beethoven, tell Chuck, good Lord, that's, <laughs> it's great lyrics in 55, you know, yeah, and um uh, we saw him in Columbia, Missouri, 20 years ago when he was, I guess, 70 and just smoked. I mean, he still had the 30-year-old Chuck Berry in him. Mm. And all my friends played with him in the 60s and 70s, and he'd come in with a money belt and had $20,000 around Jeez. his waist. He would not move to that 20000 in cash. And uh, what's funny, me and my good friend Ricky Keller went up to him, and his guitar was completely out of tune. I, we went... We put it on the machine and tuned it for you. Went, no, man, I tuned it back in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the second best music line I've ever heard. The best is John Lee Hooker, 1978, when we were playing with him. He went, boy, I ain't here to play no music. I'm here to put the devil in the room. <laughs> <laughs> My first Van Morrison show, Greek Theater, Berkeley, California. 
I'm up front waiting for him to come out. Johnny Hooker walks out and does a solo set. Good God. Floored me. I would I would pay to hear that. But real quick on Chuck Berry, when you say your friends played with him, they weren't in touring bands with him, right? He would come no, to a city and hire a band. He would fly in and rent a Ford and uh, he would and have money belts on him and the guitar and he'd put a piece of paper around the guitar and hold it, no case sometimes, and just walk in. An hour before the show, and they go, where are we going to play? And they go, we're going to do Chuck Berry music. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. There was no tonal center ever. Just one, two, three, four, and he'd start singing and be the same song every time. But you base your tempo on the inflection that he's doing in the moment and just yeah, go with it. I mean, you had to have really great musicians to play with him to make it work. Because he- they were listening to anticipating where he was going. Not the friendliest guy in the world? Uh, no, not too friendly, but... How can you not love Chuck Berry? You know, one of the 20 best ever, but certainly in American culture. And the toughest of these deaths for me, and I have a feeling you, the one with the artist with whom you're most familiar is James Cotton, the great harmonica player. I got to meet him a couple times, yeah. And uh, what's funny, I've known him since 62, and I had no idea he was that young. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's only 81 when he passed a couple weeks ago. So he was a, a kid back then. Yeah. He was like the young guy in Muddy's band, right? Yeah. And I got to hear Muddy at the Steve Paul scene in 68 with James Cotton, and James just smoked it. I think Hubert was in the band, too. Someone? Freddie B. Lowe and Willie Dixon, probably the second best band I ever heard. <laughs> but James stole the show. I know Willie Dixon so well as a songwriter, but I mean, would he always play stand-up bass? Yeah, and he always. Was as, I never saw him play electric, and I probably saw him twenty times. Was he as good a bassist, you say, as is a songwriter? Unbelievable. Yeah, he had time and tone, and him and Freddie Belo were the rhythm section with Hubert. I mean, to me, that's top five of all time in any genre. They were great. I would go and listen to Willie as much as anybody. You know, he was always composing when he was playing. You could just hear the song develop, and he wasn't trying to improvise. He did improvise. And, uh, boy, I wish he was alive today and put him with, you know, different groups. And, uh, see, God, he was just too much. Man, I, I look at Hank Williams, number one, Willie Dixon, number two in songwriting, and 77 people tied for third. You know, 77. They just, I mean, they were... Gershwin, the Beatles, on and on, Bob Dylan, you know. But those two, to me, made the magic, and their songs are timeless. Mm-hmm. And um, to shift gears for a second, uh, when we when you look at uh, this May date for your birthday um, extravaganza, because that is what it is, Rob, are you doing Jazz Fest this year at all? Or are yeah, you, I'm doing you are. 28th at um, Petite Theater. We're doing a... Barney Kilpatrick, the Warner Brothers for five years, is trying to get us to do a Howlin' Wolf tribute. Okay. And so we're doing a Howlin' Wolf tribute. Nice. And uh, probably be the only, I mean, we're not going to copy him and certainly not going to dress like him or look like him, but... And you're not going to do a Howlin' Wolf tribute at Howlin' Wolf? No, we're going to do it at Petite (laughs) Theater is the name of it on the 28th of April. All right, all right. Nine o'clock. There's five other groups on the program. Mm -hmm. You know, regarding this Fox show, there is a bit of an elephant in the room, Seth. How do you handle it when every musician's going to want to play play with you? Where's that? But you're at the at Fox show, but you're not going to play on every song. How, how do you handle that? We have many bodyguards in place. <laughs> I well, tell you, it's the toughest thing 
the second toughest thing I've ever done in my life. I don't know the first, but I have a, I'm going to take a guess on the first is probably having to answer the phone to all your musician friends saying, Bruce, I just found out about this. I want to play. And that's got to be pretty difficult. Well, to not be. many have said that some have, but I have 20 friends I've played with for 50 years on and off and there's no room to come or to be backstage and it crushes me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I got three friends out here and they, there's just no room for anybody to play. And, and, and I'm an invited guest, you know. <laughs> that That's right. That's right. Bruce had very little input into who we were inviting. So uh, send all your hate mail to Matt Wilson at 217. <laughs> and on that, on, on that note, by the way, you can not only send your hate mail. Actually, you should send any uh, business that you need. He's a hell of a lawyer. One of the best music entertainment lawyers in the biz today. Uh, he's also a hell of a manager for bands like Great Peacock and um, several Taxi. others. Uh, he works with Moon Taxi. He works with um, Packway Handle and... Cicada Rhythm. Uh, Cicada Rhythm. Yeah, there is a mic there, right? <laughs> Uh, but, you know, Matt, we'd love to have you back on the show to specifically talk about music legal side, the music lawyer Two stuff. Two names if you're looking at anyone. Randall Bramlett and Jeff Atchison. Jeff, Jeff Atchison is in town when this is going on. All right, Mr. Plugger. I love those two musicians. <laughs> um, They're involved. In I do know the hardest thing you ever did, though. What's that? Try to sell Hampton Grease Band albums. Uh, well, you know what? They only put them on the market for six weeks, and we sure play it up. You know, but it was only in three distribution centers, and they put it under Jewish humor. Clive Davis did. He didn't know what to do with well, it. Well, it was either know. that or auto mechanics, but they yeah. didn't. They Same didn't really thing. sell many albums. <laughs> Same thing. Popular <laughs> mechanics, or I mean, it. It was. There's a magazine called Outcast. About a month ago, they voted it the 63 weirdest record ever. So I felt pretty good about that. I thought we were number one. Well, you're number one to us. Hey, what's going on with the movie? Uh, Actually, they're going to show it the 15th of May. Here comes Rusty. At LaFont Terra. All right. And... uh, that, yeah. I, I loved it. Uh, I've got to tell you. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Your acting was great. Taz is incredible. Taz is amazing. I mean, he's... he's uh, he's he's global. He's yeah, huge. he's global. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll come in and rip everybody's can at May first. Yeah, I just don't want him rip. to grow up because he's the kid, oh, and then it's like you know, all of a sudden he's going to be 18 and he's not the kid anymore. Yeah, I, oh boy. But the movie was great. I thought the acting was great. Well, the thing um, is, you get into it's comedy. funny. It was really into, funny. You get in comedies, and sometimes you get more than halfway in, and there's a lull. And I think that's when Joey Lauren Adams and Fred Willard were key, and that's what made it a good, funny movie right up to the end. Was yeah. to have that those two wizened, true actors just mm-hmm. killing it. Well, yeah, I really hope that uh, everyone gets a chance to see that because it's it's Fred's fantastic. One of the greats. He doesn't get enough credit. You know, Groucho, Jonathan, and Fred, to me, are the <laughs> You put it with Groucho. That's huge. Ones, man. Those now, are the three timeless ones that 400 years from now, it'll still be funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Seth's been nailing the segues tonight, and I'm going to segue from Fox back to the Vista Room events that you've been doing by mentioning Denny Wally, who played with Frank Zappa. For We're going to try to squeeze another Zappa story out of you. But Denny Wally, the first time I was here, was in the crowd. I was chatting with him. Next thing I know, he's on stage. Um, did you do you walk him through the songs and all? Like space is the place. It seemed like he knew exactly where you were going. He, he comes and listens a lot. Okay, and uh, he knows all the material now. And his favorite song ever is "Don't Go in That Room," and he'll come in and just play on that tune. He says, "I've got to do it." We'll have ten people, and he'll have to play that song. I think he's in Europe now with his own band. Uh, the Beefheart band plays in Europe too, and the Zappa band plays in Europe. So, um, 
Can you teach us band, Bamboozle by Love? And then we could get Denny singing. I'd love it. Yeah, he's sung before. Yeah, we've had him do six or seven tunes. Any Zappa? Um, no, no, it's been done. You're not going to sure. do it any better. There's no room to improvise on it. So You sound like Gail. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, closing question. Bruce, you are a very, very wise man, and you always... I'll disagree. <laughs> you always are able to tell the future. And my question to you, Mr. Future Fortune Teller, how many days left in Trump's office? How many days left does Trump Probably have in office? silly. I mean, predicting is silly, you know. I don't know. Uh, well, like I said, time ended about five <laughs> years ago, so I can't predict since there's no time. But uh, So then we're not out of time. Rob, do you have any other questions? John McCain's going to lead the charge. Um, yes, well, a couple comments uh, real quick. David, are you familiar with David Nelson at all? Yeah, you know what? I'd heard his name forever, and we played a festival out in California, and I was blown away by him. And I've never heard him again, or I'd heard his name, but never worked with him. And boy, they were great. Did you get to talk to him at all? Because he's a really, we really forthcoming. Hello. Yeah, I, I, I don't know him, but I just I don't know who he is. But I'd heard his name, and uh, well, was, we were in Yosemite three or four years ago and did this huge festival, and I'm just really shocked that he's not a bigger name than he is. Mm-hmm. Well, he used to I play... Mean, well, tell me what his story is. He used to play with Yorma and Janice and Jerry way back before the psychedelic era. Yeah. And then after the dead wow. started happening, the 70s came along, he was one of the founding members of New Riders of the Purple Sage. Oh, was he? Yeah, and he my was... My buddy one... managed that group. Hmm? Yeah, my buddy managed that group. Is that your buddy? Uh, well, it depends what Bill time. Colhane. Yeah, so oh. he's talking about Pill, but you're also, but yeah. your buddy also is their road manager and personal manager for yeah. Nelson, which is Captain Toast. Captain Captain Toast. Oh, oh yeah. Is he? Yeah, he's been on the road with him for for several years now. He's the guy Seth bounced off the announcements on Jam Cruise. (laughs) Right? No. Didn't Toast used to do him, and now you do him? Oh, well, Uh, I see what you're saying. (laughs) Anyways, David Nelson's been really sick. Different musicians have been sitting in for him. Vince Herman, Peter Rowan, a guy by the name of Bob Weir flew all the way to Alaska to sit in. Well, it's not just David Nelson who's sick, but also... Buddy Cage, Buddy as Cage you know. I love Buddy. We played a lot of shows together 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was me, Vassar, and him, and we would just go oh, yeah. absolutely crazy and have a blast. Vassar Clements, the Vass- violin player. Yeah, Vassar's my man. One time when you were at the, you mentioned it in our first interview, when you were doing the Brandy House things, which was a residency at a small club, yep. he came for a whole week, right? He came for nine days and wouldn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> I think He said he had so much fun. We told him our bass player could jump on the bass uh german bass and would spin him around and he'd solo and then we'd light it and it would burn <laughs> it'd have to jump off in the last second that's when that's the craziest thing ever <laughs> i gotta tell a great story about vassar clements it's seven brothers and every one of them is vassar clements no and yes and their middle name is carol and he's Vassar Lee Clements. There's Bill and Charlie. So they were in a football game, and they would go, Vassar Clements replacing Vassar Clements. <laughs> and in comes Vassar Clements for And it was in Kissimmee, Florida. And him telling that story was just, and six of the seven were playing high school team. And every, the Clements comes in, but they're all named Vassar Clements. And his real name is Vassar Lee. And his his brother, uh, they're all that Vassar. That's just George Foreman. That's wonderful. Vassar needed a grill. 
I just, I just, I just think the, I just think he ought, we ought to bring him back, and he'll be the king of the world for years, man. There's nobody better than Vassar. Man. Yeah. There was one time you were on stage with him at Harvest Fest, and I swear, Colonel, and you, you can dodge us all you want, but I swear it's the one time I really saw you angry on stage. Was he was soloing, and your guitar player at the time. Should I say his name? Uh, no, 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 we, we know. Yeah. He, stepped, he stepped all over him, and then you shot him a glare like I've never seen. I was like, if he ever shoots that glare at me, I'm going to melt. Hey, that's why I'm the colonel boy. <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, if you want to well, donate... Our drummer and bass player did the same thing many times. <laughs> Sometimes life goes there. <laughs> and on that note, well, David Nelson has ha, does have cancer. He he needs help. And also, if you're we have deadheads who listen, you can you can go to the nelsonband.com. You can stream the last two shows. There's a link from there, and you can donate dedicated maniacs for David Nelson. And then Buddy Cage, I believe it's his wife, has set up a GoFundMe for uh, Buddy Cage. So you can check out both. You ever talked to Buddy? Uh, briefly at the the Brandy House days when he was playing with that band from Colorado Stir Fried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't get much time. I, used to, I, I had Stir Fried play back in Tallahassee some years ago in like 98, 99. 98, 99, yeah. And that's uh, but that Buddy was had, with Vassar, right? Mm, yep, yep. And yeah. uh, but Buddy had this way that Melvin, I think uh, it was Melvin Seals also was really very similar in the way that they could bring Jerry to life. There's stories about Jerry. You felt like he was in the room with you. That's that's yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So we'll end with how about you bring Frank Zappa to life? You told us one about him meeting a girl in the park and bringing her to the show. Yeah, that was one of the most touching. I learned a lot that day. He was uh, she was about eighteen and Frank was about twenty six. No one knew who he was, and uh, I just met him two days and we were walking through Washington Square Park and the girl was crying and Frank said. Gave her five bucks and gave her tickets for the show that night and just pepped her up like crazy. And then uh, later that night, we went to Loudon Wainwright show. And Frank said, there's four tickets for me, you know, and and usually a rock star, give me my four, you know. And he waited 20 minutes till he got in. I just said, boy, this cat's great, you know. And later we took, uh, we took him to the hospital when Moon Unit was... September 28th, I think, 67. Mm. We rushed into a hospital. We had a 426 Hemi Head Plymouth from Georgia, and it said, this is an unmarked police car. <laughs> <laughs> so we're driving Gail to the hospital oh my God. to give birth to Moon Unit, and that was out. Man. <laughs> and we looked like Hicks, man, New York 67. What were his shows like? Were people really attentive, the audiences that he would attract? Would they really listen? I mean, it was so far over their head, but the rock groove, and he was put he put Stravinsky to rock and roll, mm -hmm. especially in '67. But he'd bring in guests. I mean, there'd be Eric Clapton with Jimi Hendrix, and Richie Havens would open the show every night. And Hendrix took the guitar one night and threw it through the roof, and it bounced back and forth. He got stuck up there, and he'd jump up and hit it and go. <laughs> <laughs> And then Clapton always played in there, too. I mean, he came and sat in. He was on Lumpy Gravy, and him and Frank had a little bit of a tiff, and Frank took a pencil and crossed out his last name <laughs> on the right, and it's still there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know what happened. But, well, Clapton's uh, not the loosey-goosey guy that others are. Uh, he's a nice fella. He's a gentleman. And as are you and Matt, thank you guys so much for making the time. And Matt Wilson, thank you for all your work and for doing this. This man deserves it, and the Atlanta music scene will benefit from it, and uh, I applaud you heartily. Uh, we all just applaud Bruce. 
I never know.